turn back to the book of Judges. We've been in the book of Judges over the past three or four months. I've gone to several sermons out of the book of Judges, and even some of those were incorporated into other messages. A couple Wednesday nights ago, uh, we, we dealt with some things out of one of the individuals in Judges and how that God uh, used that individual about a month or two ago. I, I dealt with J.L., and uh, you remember that message on how the Lord had given the prophecy that through the seed of woman, the head of the serpent would be crushed and, uh, and how that God used that example through the word of God. And we, we focused in on JL in that particular message. And tonight, I'm going to one of the more familiar figures in the Bible that you know, and that is Samson. So I'll be going to the 14th chapter, the 14th chapter, and I'm going to read just a couple of verses out of the 14th chapter, a few verses out of the 15th chapter, and then also we'll be looking finally at a few verses out of the 16th chapter. In, uh, you know, anytime you talk about Samson and uh, you make reference to Samson, I think automatically our mind goes, you, you, can't, you can't hear Samson, but when you hear his name, we always think of Samson and Delilah. And... Uh, we always reflect on Delilah. And when we think about that, I think that probably, I, I hope that I'm not being, uh, you know, just judgmental in my thought here and maybe trying to put everybody in the same category as myself. But all of the years that I was growing up in church and all of the Sunday school lessons and all of the sermons that I heard on Samson and Delilah, it always took me to the point that as I matured, I felt like that Samson's problem was based on one thing, lust. I mean, I felt like he just had this lustful desire that he couldn't seem to overcome. And all of my life I grew up thinking that. But then years later, through study in the word of God, I don't believe Samson's downfall came because of lust. Now, hear me out on what I'm saying. I don't believe that lust was his weakness. And you're not gonna believe what I'm about to tell you. I believe that love was his weakness. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't love, but I am saying this. Sometimes we can get the wrong definition for love, and when you get the wrong idea about love, and we fall into a trap where the, we get this image in our mind. A lot of people wind up in divorce because they imagine, as they look at others, they, they imagine what other people's marriage is like. And then when they look at their marriage, they say, if our marriage was like theirs, but the truth of the matter is, you don't know what their marriage is really like. People can put on a front, trust me. There can be a whole lot going on that you don't know about and you can't see. And sometimes when people look at it a certain way, it'll appear as one thing when it's something else. Well, that's a lot of what happened in Samson's life. It's not just love. It's the fact that he loved and got his heart broken. The Bible says the reason that Samson was so recognized in Scripture in in chapter 14 and verse 19 is the answer to the question why we know so much about Samson to begin with. It starts off by saying in verse 19, and the spirit of the Lord came upon him. He was a character 
in the Bible that this, this vibrant personality, you're entitled to believe what you want. Personally, I don't believe he was a muscular man. I think he probably was more of an ordinary looking man. I, I think that they would have known and prepared themselves had he had an appearance of somebody that had supernatural strength, but I think he looked like an ordinary person and he was an ordinary person until the spear of the Lord came on him. And when the spear of the Lord came on him, he could do supernatural things. And by the way, that's still true today. There's some things that within our weakness of our flesh, I'm not talking about sin in our flesh, I'm just talking about the body gets weak, the body gets tired, and sometimes in our own weakness and in our own way, we feel like we can't do that. But then when the Spirit of the Lord comes, you find out you have strength that you never dreamed you could have, you do things you never dreamed that you could do when the Spirit of the Lord comes on you. That's what happened. And in that case, when the Spirit of the Lord came on, he went down to Ascalon, slew 30 men of them and took their spoil and gave change of garments unto them which, ex which expounded the riddle and his anger was kindled and he went up to his father's house. And when he gets to his father's house, look at this next phrase. But Samson's wife, that wasn't Delilah. Samson was married before Delilah. Samson's wife was given to his companion, whom he had used as his friend. Chapter 15. But it came to pass within a while after, in the time of wheat harvest, that Samson visited his wife with a kid. And he said, I will go into my wife, into the chamber, but her father would not suffer him to go in, his father forbidding from going. Father forbid her father forbidding from going in. His father-in-law said, "You can't go." And her father said, "I verily thought that thou hadst utterly hated her; therefore I gave her to thy companion. Is not her younger sister fairer than she? Take her, I pray thee, instead of her." So this does something to Samson. You'll find out that through that it molds his life in such a way that by the time you get to chapter 16, he is now in the lap of Delilah. And the Bible says in verse 15, and she said unto him, how canst thou say, what's the next three words? I love thee. Chapter 16, verse 15. And she said unto him, how canst thou say, I love thee when thine heart is not with me. Thou hast mocked me these three times and thou told me wherein thy great strength lieth. And it came to pass when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death that he told her all his heart and said unto her, there hath not come a razor upon mine head for I have been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. If I be shaven, then my strength will go from me and I shall become weak and be like any other man. So here we have the picture of how it all comes to pass. And let me just paint it out to you very quickly here tonight. Samson started out right and was used by God because of this vow that he was under. He was under, don't get the wrong word with a vow. This, this is more than just, you know, taking some type of an oath. He's under a covenant with God. 
His parents has recognized this covenant, acknowledged this covenant. He is a covenant child from the time he comes out of the womb. He feels his whole life fulfilling this covenant. He has one goal, one vision, one thing in mind, and that's pleasing God. He doesn't want to do anything else except please God. So he has one vision, and that's always pleasing the Lord, born for one purpose, to please God. He starts out right with the goal of pleasing God. We've all seen this happen before. People start out right, they wanna please God, they do well, they go for a long time, but suddenly something changes in their life. Something causes them to suddenly put God on the back burner of their priorities in life. And their relationship with God shifts from having a focus on God only. One event changed his life. What was that event? When his father-in-law gave his wife away to his friend. See, his father-in-law said, you were gone. I didn't think you were coming back. Well, even though he was gone and he didn't think he was coming back, he didn't have the right to do that. It wasn't fair of him to do that. She's not a piece of property, even though her father is treating her like a piece of property. And he gives her away to his friend. So Samson now is facing this, this enormous problem in his life because he loved her. And his love has now been abused. Now, lest you think that I'm barking up the wrong tree, have you ever trusted somebody and given them your heart and they turned on you? Have you ever had a broken heart? Have you ever faced a disappointment in life? Do you know there are things in life with me, you and every other human being that ever lives, there are things in life that when it happens, it can mold your life in a completely different direction. You can do one thing, I don't wanna scare parents, but I do wanna warn parents, you can do one thing to your child that could harm them for the rest of their life. You, you can break friendship and ruin a relationship where trust will never be there again because you can't abuse people's love. When someone extends their love to you, you have to take that as a treasure and cherish that. So now his focus has, has changed. He goes from one vision, pleasing God. He still has a desire to please God, but because now he's had his heart broken, he is angry, and no longer does he look at just God, he looks for revenge, and this one event changes his whole plot in life. He does everything differently after this event because he's hurt. He's operating now out of hurt. It's terrible to see people operate their life out of pain. Pain that's on the inside can make them make decisions that they wouldn't normally do. If you'll read, when you go home, if you'll read from chapter 15, if you'll read before it in Samson's life and after it in chapter 15, you'll find out he changed the way he fought. 
Before his goal was always Philistines. Now he doesn't care if he kills Philistines or if it impacts their children or their family. He gets cruel. He gets cruel in his attack. He doesn't fight the same way because now even though he's trying to please God, there's a part of him that's saying, I want revenge and I want to get even. So he's fighting with revenge and with anger in his heart. Now, I don't know how long you've been saved, but don't you ever get to the place that you don't think the devil can divide your heart. He will change the way that you fight the enemy and suddenly you'll get confused about who is friend and who is foe and you'll fight the wrong person if you're not careful. It changed the way he fought. It changed the way he fought. Every battle that he fought, he's now thinking of the betrayal. The betrayal comes to his mind first and he makes the decision out of the pain that he has in his heart. Every decision that he makes, he's now thinking about that. He can't go forward thinking about, Lord, what do you want? What's important to you? Now suddenly he's thinking about this pain because his wife has been given to his friend. When you start thinking about the hurt in your past, more than you think about the God of your future. Your past will control you. You may not have been guilty. You know, I'm talking about something he wasn't guilty of. Somebody else did this to him. Has anybody ever wronged you? Maybe I better quit tonight. You all have never been wronged by anybody. You've never been wronged by anybody. People will wrong you in life. The best of people will do wrong. It's not a question of will you be wronged in life. Life isn't always fair and there'll be times that you will be treated wrongfully. And sometimes when that happens, you can let that get inside of you. There's people right here that attend this church every week in one of our services or more that when they come through the doors of this church, they come from another church where somebody has wronged them and treated them wrongfully. I can't help that. I'm sorry that that happened, but you're not at that other church anymore. You're at this church and God has never wronged you and God has never failed you and God has never hurt you, and God has never let you down. Not one time has God ever disappointed you. Don't let all of your thoughts be on those that have hurt you in your past. Am I helping anybody tonight? It affected the way he thought. It affected the way he fought. And it affected him in the way that he was caught. That's how they caught him. They found his weakness. It became visible. He no longer fights under the anointing of the spirit. He's fighting out of anger. Now you can have a spirit that'll come on you that's not of God. A spirit that will also endue you with power. The spirit of anger. Anger, when it's unleashed, can cause you to do things that you wouldn't normally have. We've all had this ability inside of us that we don't realize that when we're facing those things, 
we get this strength, this momentum that comes from the anger that's on the inside. Now, I'm going where angels dare to trod. Are you with me? How many of you stay with me? Don't tell me you're a Christian and you love the Lord if your heart's full of hatred for somebody else. You know what they did to me. I don't care what they did to you. Look what they did to Jesus. He's my example. He, I have to let him be my example in all things. And Jesus was falsely accused, wrongfully beaten, wrongfully imprisoned, then wrongfully crucified. Now he had to be crucified for our sins, but yet the ones that did the crucifixion, they didn't see why he was really dying. They were trying to kill him. They thought that he was the enemy and they were out to kill him. He's hanging on the cross. He is now at a crown of thorns on his head. He's now been made fun of. He's been mocked. He's been ridiculed. He's been brought to shame. Those that love him the most are standing nearby. John and his mother, there they are. There they are standing nearby. And as they look at Jesus, there he looks out on the faces of those that are crucifying him and he says father forgive them for they know not what they do I feel the Holy Ghost tonight it starts with a little thing somebody just does something that you don't like and it gets under you and then before long, every time you wake up in the night, you're thinking about that thing. They didn't speak to me. They don't like me. They're out to get me. And I'm here to tell you, if you let that go, if you water that seed in your heart, it will get so big that you're consumed constantly with something that may not even be real. It could be nothing more than a vain imagination in your mind. And even if it is real, we have no choice in this matter. Jesus said we are to love our enemies. We are to pray for them that despitefully use you. You can't change the word of God. I can't change the word of God. I'm not saying what they did is right. God will take care of all of that. That's God's business. But the truth of the matter is, we've got to love one another. Hatred. Don't tell me it don't work like that. I went into one church one time. I knew I was in trouble when I got there. Why they wanted to have revival, I will never know. When I got in, I could, I could feel the tension inside the church, nothing to do with me. I could feel the tension because you could watch people. Do you really think we're stupid? Do you think preachers put neckties around their necks so tight, cuts the oxygen off, they can't figure out what's going on? I'd watch people start down the aisleway and they'd look up and see somebody else and turn around and go the other way. It kept building and I kept preaching. And I preached 
Somebody said, did you have revival? No. Saturday night, we had a fist fight. You heard me right. A fist fight in the parking lot. They called the law. And a church that was growing and thriving, you say, what was it all over? It really wasn't over this, but I tell you what it was. They wanted two different styles of water fountain in the foyer. That's what they use. Now, if you believe that, you believe that, you've got some major problems. I tell you what the problem was, hatred in their heart. Somebody had done something and it started controlling the way that he thought. And I want to say this to you, if I get no further in this sermon tonight, when you, when you do not heal something that is bad inside of you, when it is not healed, it will eventually kill you. It will destroy you. It'll eat your joy up. It'll eat your thrill up. It'll eat your desires up. It'll cause you to operate by another vision and you're trying to please God on one side, but you can't just please God. You're battling this thing inside of you also. Still with me? So they said, we know his problem. He loves deeply. And when he loves deeply, when he gets hurt over love, he loses control. So we'll use that against him. Since he loves deeply, let's send the right woman at the right time. Delilah became the pawn. That's why by the time you get to chapter 16, we learn some lessons. Will you give me just three more minutes? Here's what's always troubled me about Samson. I read it to you tonight. She said, you say you love me, but you haven't given your heart to me. Yea, these three times, thrice, three times, you told me one thing and it was something else. What happened when, she told, when he told her the wrong thing? What happened? They tried to kill him on all three occasions. Now, every one of you, look right here. Who would live with a psycho like that? <laughs> I'm serious. Man, you tried to kill me three times. I'm getting out of the house. You tried three times and failed. I'm not going to tell you anything. Only thing I'm going to tell you is adios. See you later. I'm getting out. Why did he stay with her knowing she was trying to kill him? You want to know? Nobody said they wanted to know. Why, why did he do that? Can I tell you why? His vision has now become distorted and he's lost the true vision and he no longer has a vision. And now he is so obsessed with not failing at love again. That he doesn't want to fail so badly he wants to succeed that he stays with somebody that he knows he can't trust. 
It's called pride. I don't know if he had it in his mind. I can venture to love me. I can somehow turn around. But really, he knew what she was doing. She wanted the secrets of his heart. Can I be careful in saying this, but very sincere in saying it? Whoever you give your secrets to, you give your heart to. And whoever you give your heart to, you give your hair to. Your strength. She said, if I get your secrets, I'll know that I have your heart. And if I get your secrets and I get your heart, I'll find the key to your strength, which was his hair. And she knew then how to defeat him. And you know what happened? You don't read when they came in this time that the spirit of the Lord came on him. The anointing left. Now I said three minutes and I'm gonna take four. This has been the perplexing part of my ministry. When Candy and I was gone, I finished my 45th year and started my 46th year of ministry. And the perplexing part of ministry in 45 years of completed ministry, I know people that I believe they love the Lord. They're not saved yet, but they they don't deny there's a God. They've not given their heart to God. But they're not fighting God, they're good people. They won't fight you, they won't hinder you, they won't hinder the church. And why they choose the devil. I'm gonna be blunt here. Why do you choose him when all he's trying to do is kill you? Why why did we choose him before we were saved? Why did we choose him knowing the only thing he wanted was to destroy us and kill us and cause us to die lost without Christ and to suffer for all eternity? He never loved us. He never did anything good. Did the devil do anything good for you? He never did anything good for me. Why would I turn down a God of love and a God of mercy and a God of grace, a God that all he has ever done is love me? Why would I turn him down to follow the devil who has done nothing but hate me? So I'm asking you this. Why in heaven's name are you staying with somebody that's trying to kill you? Satan. Oh, no, no preacher. I don't don't love the devil. Well, the Lord said you can't have two masters. You either love him, Jesus, or you love the world. And if the love of the world, the Bible says, is in you, the love of the Father is not in you. It's one or the other, friend. You can't have both. You'll be like Samson. You'll think you're pleasing God, but you can't have both. You just can't. Now, a lot of you were kind enough to verify you know what it is to be hurt. You know what it is for others to hurt you. I'm not, I'm not, saying, I'm not saying that you're guilty of anything. 
I'm just saying, if you don't wash that out of your heart, if we don't get that thing clean, it will control us. Well, how do I wash that out of my heart? The devil comes to dilute and pollute. He'll water it down, get it in you, but still has enough power to pollute you. And when that comes, that corruption, you gotta say, it's time to do the laundry. Deep down clean. Now, I'm not telling you what to do, but I don't care to tell you what I do. Would you like to know what I do? I'll tell you what I do. I found out there's one way that always works to wash my heart. Now, we know prayer and asking God to forgive. I know all of those things. But still, I see people come and pray and there's no change. So how do you get that out, preacher? How do you do that? One thing I found that always works. Worship. Genuine worship washes my heart. Because I can't come into the presence of God with unclean hands and a dirty heart. Well, how do you know? It's easy to know. If the anointing has left you, if the anointing has never touched you, if you get in situations and the Spirit of God no longer anoints you in those areas, then probably something has gotten inside your heart to hinder the flow of the Spirit. I don't want to get up and do this by my power and by my might, but I want to do it by His Spirit. The reason you can't get the answer is maybe you just need to come and fall on your knees and say, God, Tonight I've just come to bow before you and tell you, Lord, you're King of kings and you're Lord of lords. And you have all power and you know how weak I am and you know how frail I am. So Lord, I don't want to talk about me tonight. I want to talk about you. And I want to thank you for your mercy and your grace. Are you getting this tonight? And you know what happens when the spirit starts to come and you get in a place of worship? It doesn't matter. Roger, when you got in that place for the anointing to come a few minutes ago when folks were praying for you, yes, you're still on oxygen. Yes, you still have lung disease. Yes, you still face a test on Friday. But for a few minutes there, it just washed all of that away as to say, it just doesn't seem to matter when I get in the presence of Almighty God. The only thing that matters is that the Lord has control. And Lord, when we come to worship you in the beauty of holiness, you always honor us and you'll always do what we cannot do for ourselves. So is there something that's dragging you down? Is there something that has become a seed in your heart that's affecting your vision? You've only got one life to live. Live it for God and stay focused on the Lord. Be a good night to come and forgive others. 
You said they didn't ask for forgiveness. That don't mean you can't forgive them. <laughs> Get yourself free from it and let God deal with them. Some of you have had bad marriages, bad relationships. Sometimes I wonder, why do those people let me be their pastor? I'm too plain spoken. You've got in bad relationships and you know you've been in bad relationships and you've been hurt. Now God has blessed your life and you're trying to go on with your life but you've got all of this pain from your past and you can't move forward because you're hurt so bad. Hey folks, let's enjoy the trip. Let's keep our eyes on him. It's almost home going time. 